Amen. 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 Well, guys, quickly before I jump in, I, you know, we're, we're walking through entire books this summer, right? So we're doing 12 minor prophets. It's a 12-week series. Last week was the whole book of Hosea. This week's the whole book of Joel. Uh, Joel. Luckily, Joel's only three chapters, so it's a little easier to summarize. But in doing that, we kind of got to tell you what the book is about. Now, you should be reading this if you're doing our Bible reading plan with us. And uh, if you don't know what that is, these blue bookmarks up front, uh, that's our current Bible reading plan. Now, the green one is what we're going to switch over to on the 21st. Those are brand new. We've got those in today. Uh, and so you can grab one of those, too. We'll also have journals available uh, next week for you to pick up. And, and we'll walk through kind of how to do that if you have any questions. Um, but if you're doing the Bible reading plan, you probably read the book of Joel. But Joel's a little tough right? And Joel's a little tough because it's only three chapters. It's in the Old Testament, and, and Joel's kind of unique. Uh, it's unique that we don't know when Joel was written, right? Um, some people used to think that Joel was written like early, like 400s, 500s. Now we're thinking like closer to 800s maybe, and the reason why is because Joel quotes like six other prophets uh, in the book, and, and he couldn't have done that you know, without having read those things. And so we kind of have to readjust when we thought it was written. Joel's also unique in that he's telling the nation of Israel, remember the kingdoms are divided into the north and the south. He's telling both kingdoms that they need to repent and get right with God uh, because of their sin. But he never identifies their sin, right? That's another reason we think it's late uh, because Joel's basically at this point going, you guys know what the thing is, right? You know that, like, I don't have to point it out. Everybody knows what Israel's sin is. It's idolatry. And we got into that last week with Hosea. Remember uh, that the northern kingdom, uh, especially under Jeroboam, Jeroboam set up two uh, temples, right? One at Dan and one at Bethel. And there he made golden calves. And, and he had his own priestly class. And so the Israelites were going through all the motions that they were supposed to, where they would go to the priest and they make offerings and make sacrifices, but they're actually making those offerings and sacrifices with people that aren't really priests. Uh, they, I mean, they're called priests, but they're not really priests. And, and, and they're doing them literally on and to golden calves, to idols. And you can imagine God's broken heart. And so here we have Joel. Joel has studied the scriptures. He even quotes the book of Exodus. He studied the scriptures. He looks at what's, what's going on in current events, and he sees what he believes is coming uh, in the future, and, and he says, listen, uh, you guys better get ready because God is disciplining us. What's going on, circumstances we're facing and circumstances we're going to face, he, he identifies this as, as, and he uses this term multiple times, he calls it the day of the Lord. Now with him, that's judgment. He's saying God is judging us. He's judging us and he's going to judge us. And so he talks about this on multiple occasions. I want to talk to you about that this morning and talk to you about what we can learn from this book. So there's three things I think we can learn from the book of Joel. And here is the first. Lesson number one is that God will use whatever circumstances he needs in order to get your attention. Let me say that again. This is important. God will use whatever circumstances he needs in order to get your attention, right? And so again, three days of the Lord mentioned. Now one was past or present, however you look at it, it just happened. Uh, the effects are still being felt. Another is, is future, and then one is way future, right? As he refers to these days of the Lord. So the first is a plague of locusts. A plague of locusts has completely overtaken the land. And these locusts came in all kinds of swarms. There were big ones and little ones and some that came and, and picked up the scraps and ate all the scraps. And so uh, in chapter 1 of Joel, he says, listen, there are no more vines. 
Nothing that grows on a vine is left. He says there, are, there is no more wheat, there's no more barley, there's nothing in the field, there's nothing for the animals to eat, and it, it's so dire. Listen, there's no grain left in the storage places. Like They can't make uh, bread, they, they can't make wine, they can't make olive oil. They, it's all gone. It's all gone. It's all been wiped out by these crazy swarms of locusts. So that's kind of the first day of the Lord. And, and Joseph's like, listen, um, man, that's from God. Right? So, so God is doing this, and this is what Joel says. He says, what God wants is your attention. He's trying to get your attention. He's using this swarm of, of, of locusts. Like, he's going like, he, he actually relates it back. Do you remember what God did to Egypt, guys? God's now doing that to his own children because he wants your attention. He wants you to focus on him, to turn to him. And remember, when things got bad, the Israelites, instead of turning to God, would then go and turn back to idols. And, and, and they would sacrifice to Baal or, or, or to Asherah, right? And, and so, like, God is going, hey, I want your attention. That's what Joel says. He says, first and foremost, man, and, and so he calls the whole nation. He says, man, we, we need to fast and we need to pray. And he says, God is gracious. He's, he's going he's gonna to relent from his anger. So that's kind of that's the first day of the Lord. Then he sees another day of the Lord. He says, now, now here's what's coming. And it sounds, when you get into it, it sounds like it's more locusts. Man, it's these swarms that he's describing, but very soon you learn these swarms are people. They're soldiers. They're armies. And, and, and they're going to overtake the land. And we believe, of course, these people are going to invade, and, and they're going to they're take the people of God off into captivity. Off into captivity. And, and, and again, Joel says, and when that happens, I need you to understand, that is God's judgment upon you. Right? That's God's judgment. And then he looks forward to a future day of the Lord, one that will eventually come, and we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But here's Joel's big premise of the book. Ready? That God allows things to happen in our lives in order to get our attention. Okay? So that's lesson number one. God allows things to happen in our lives in order to get our attention. Okay? Lesson number two. That God does this because he wants us to turn to him. Let me say that again. That God does this because he wants us, he wants you to turn to him. He wants you to turn to him. So uh, here's a big principle as we study scripture. God's not a bully. He's just not. Uh, he's all powerful, but he's, he, he's not a bully. He's not mean. Uh, in fact, we just sang about it. God is a loving father. And so what a loving father does is, is he lovingly disciplines his children because he cares about them and he doesn't want them to be hurt worse than they could be. And so God, uh, here in, as Joel interprets it, God is using circumstances to get the attention of his children because he wants his children to turn to him because he knows that if they don't, there's disaster lying ahead, right? And so he says, listen, again, I'm going to call you to pray. I'm going to call you to, to pray. And, and if you ever wondered, is that really why God allows hard things to happen in my life? Is it really just because he wants me to turn to him? Well, listen to what Joel writes. He says this in chapter 2, Joel 2, 12 through 13. He says, even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Even now, even though everything we have is gone, even though we're going to be conquered, even though that's going to happen, like even now, here's the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and He relents from sending disaster. God does not want to cause harm. So he says, return to the Lord, and, and God will relent. God will pull back. Return to the Lord. God wants us to turn to him. Now, I, I want you to notice that little portion there where he says, tear your hearts, not just 
your clothes. You see, here's what the Israelites were doing. They were still going to the temple. And they were still making sacrifices, but they're doing it to idols, right? And, and so what is God saying? He's saying, listen, I, I don't want you to go through the motions. Like, God's literally like, I've, I've never been about the motions. The, the law was made as a, as a form of atonement. And, and, and listen, if you're not doing it with your heart, it doesn't count. God wants their heart. He wants their heart to turn from their wicked ways unto him so that they won't be harmed. 2 Corinthians 7.10 puts it this way. It says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. So God loves you, and he causes circumstances to happen because he wants your attention. He does that so that you will turn to him. Right? That's the point of it, that he wants you to repent from what you're doing and turn to him. And that kind of leads to the last point of, of Joel, just that third lesson that we learn is that his, his promise is restoration and abundance for everyone that does. God promises restoration and abundance for everyone who turns to him, right? To everyone who turns to him. And, and here's, here's the amazing promise of what Joel sees uh, coming in the future, right? There, there's this one day of the Lord coming in the distant future. He doesn't know exactly what, but, but he, he says this about this coming day of the Lord in verse 28 and then 32. He says, after this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. And, and then your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. Then in verse 32, he says, then everyone who calls on the name, of, this is on that day, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, those verses from 28 through 32, those are the verses that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost Right when the Holy Spirit comes, you guys remember Jesus. Uh, there's about 120 disciples uh, that have turned from their wicked ways and turned to be followers of Jesus. That have listened to what Jesus said. He said, "Hey, listen, I'm going to die. I'm going to be uh, taken up into heaven, and you wait in Jerusalem for the gift that I'm going to send, the Holy Spirit." So 120 believers have been huddled, kind of in an inner room there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. They're praying when tongues of fire appear above their head the Holy Spirit doesn't just come upon them but enters them and they begin to speak in intelligible tongues of people from other languages and and the crowd around hears the gospel being proclaimed in their native tongues and they say man these Galileans must be drunk and Peter stands up and says no it's only 10 in the morning we haven't even had enough time to get drunk yet and he quotes Joel 2 28 through 32 and, and, and he literally says like this was written long ago by the prophet Joel that the Holy Spirit would come and we would prophesy in different languages and, and then he says and, and hear me like everyone asks well what, what do we have to do to be saved and he ends his sermon with everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and 3,000 people were added to their number that very day empowered by the Holy Spirit Inside of them, the abundance that God provides for us in Jesus. 3,000 people were added to the kingdom of God that very day. Amen? So what do we learn from all that? Whew. When we study the book of Joel, and we realize God will use whatever circumstances he needs in order to get our attention, he does this so that we will turn to him, and that ultimately there's a day coming of restoration and abundance for everyone that does it that turns to him, what, what, do we, what do we do? I, I think there's a few things. The first one may catch you off guard, 
but as a father uh, with teenagers currently in my house, uh, this is immediately where my heart went. And I was like, oh God, this is what you want from me. And so here's the first thing I think we need to do. Number one, I think we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Let me say that again. We need to fix our eyes on on Jesus. And so here's the, the good news. Uh, God loves you and he's trying to get your attention. Amen? That's great news. God loves you and he's actually trying to get your attention. The bad news is that you and I have the attention span of gnats, right? So God wants to get our attention. We're like, what? Huh? What, Lord? I mean, we, we like every parent that has a teenager that has that thing glued in their hand and those stupid little buds that they made that now don't even have to, like they're wireless now, they can have them on at all times, we never know where they're, like, like you're talking to your child and they turn around, you see the devil's markings in their ear and they have no idea what's come out of your mouth, right? Like, what, what, I'm sorry. Uh, oh gosh, I hate AirPods. I, I love mine, I just hate theirs. Uh, and, so, follow me, right? Um, and, and so, uh, like, that's life, right? And, and so I, I just want you to think about this. Every parent that has a child has grown up with this statement, and it's true. Your parents said it to you. You've said it to your kids. Your kids will say it to their kids. Here it is, ready? Look at me when I'm talking to you. Because we have this utter belief that what we're saying is of, of great importance unto our kids. Whether it's a discipline that they're foregoing like a chore. Whether it's, it's some kind of instruction so that they don't hurt themselves. We're trying to bestow blessing upon our children. And the only way that they can get our message clearly is if they're actually looking at us. And what happens when, we're not, when they're not looking at us and we, we say, Hey, listen, I want everybody to listen real quick. And you say something. I don't know what happens in your house. But, but immediately immediately in my house, then the message gets louder the second time. And, and the third time, it gets a little louder. By the fourth time, you've lost things, right? That's mine, gone for a week. You want to keep it up? Okay, you're grounded. I mean, and we're just going to keep going. And the discipline gets higher and higher and higher. And what I'm telling you, I think the answer uh, for us all is that we would fix our eyes, that we would listen to Jesus as He speaks to us, so that we could avoid, I'm going to call it unnecessary discipline, right? I, I don't actually like to discipline my kids. I, I really don't. I hate it. Uh, there have been moments that I've, I've had those, like, it's escalated, 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 and I'm like, blah, 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 and I become the devil, and then I weep. Uh, I don't really become the devil, but I, I get angry because I'm trying to get, and I, I mean, I'll go later. I, I've, I've cried over I really have. I'm a big softy. I've cried over things that I've either had to take away or grant. Like, like, it's happened in my house. My wife is like, it's okay. Like, it's important. It's part of life. But it hurts my heart to have to discipline my children. It hurts God's heart to have to discipline us too. What's the answer? Well, the answer is to listen when God is speaking. Hebrews says this in Hebrews 12 too. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so what I'm saying is, is this, ready? We kind of put all this together. Since we know that God will use any circumstances he has to to get our attention. We know that. We know that, Right? So we know that God wants to get our attention. We know that He'll do whatever He has to to do so. I believe wholeheartedly then we could avoid a lot of, again, I'm calling it unnecessary discipline if we would just fix our eyes on Him, right? You see it? I, I don't know about you. I, I think that's huge. Uh, second, guys, we need to regularly practice repentance. We need to regularly practice repentance. Because uh, here's the deal. 
the answer is to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's the answer. Just, just stay right there. That, that, that is legit the answer for life. If, if we could keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and just do what He says, and we're listening intently, and we're always looking at Him, like we're going to be golden, right? The, the problem is we have the attention span of a gnat, and so it's not always going to work out that way. And so what will happen is, is you will not do that at some point. Okay? You're going to take your eyes off of him. Like Peter, you're going to sink. Uh, you're going to face the consequences of your actions. You're going to face the discipline of God. Uh, and, and, and then the question is, what do you do when that happens? How do you respond to the consequences that God allows in your life when he's trying to get your attention? And I think we can respond and, in a couple of ways. Okay, So one, uh, we can actually dig down further. right? So, uh, so we take our eyes off of Jesus, and we choose to do things our own way. And so God discipline, He brings discipline into our life. He allows us to face the consequences of some of our actions. And uh, sometimes we respond by almost like getting more indignant. Well, fine, I'm just going to do it some more. Right? Forget it. I'm, I'm in even more. Right? And again, if you have children, you've seen this in your house. And, uh, and, and, and just sometimes something in us spurs, I'm, I'm really going to sin now. Uh, and we do. And that sounds silly. You guys are shaking your head. No, that's not me. Liars? Liars. I know you. I've seen you drive. I know. Listen, I just drove for 10 hours yesterday. And those people that pass on the right to try to slam in front of you when it's raining and we're all driving 80, I'm like, I want to hurt you. But I have my family in the car. Jesus says, if you've even thought about murdering someone, you've done it in your heart. Hi, you're murdering pastor today, evidently. Uh, it was rough, man. One way that we can respond when God disciplines us is just digging further. Another thing that we can do sometimes uh, is, 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 again, one of those responses is we can just, we, we, we become overcome by guilt and we, we dig a, a deeper hole of guilt and shame. Right? I mean, God's, 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 God's guilt uh, is supposed to lead us towards, towards repentance. But, but man, sometimes we just, we just, and we just, oh, I'm a terrible person. God could never forgive me. Anyone ever thought those thoughts, right? And so we bury ourselves in the sand, and, and we get even further off, right? So those are ways that you can respond when you mess up. But let me give you another way, the way I'm encouraging you to. Or, when God brings discipline and consequence in your life, you can immediately respond with repentance, right? So, I like to think about Peter. Uh, Peter, one of the coolest dudes in the Bible. I know he blew it a lot, but he also had some moments, man. Like, like I don't know about you, walking on water, pretty cool moment. I'm like, yes, Lord, I want that. I think there's been some times in my life in ministry I've been able to do that. I've also sank like a rock, okay? And so uh, I know what it is. Peter is my dude. And so, like, listen, uh, how does Peter respond? Peter has his eyes fixed on Jesus. He's walking on water. The other 11 guys in the boat are like, whoa, that's awesome. You see Peter? Check him out. Oh, my gosh, he's walking to Jesus. And they're like, and then Peter goes, yeah, dude, I am pretty cool. Takes his eyes off of Jesus like a rock. He's in, he's, he's in the ocean. But you know what Peter does immediately? Save me, Lord. That should be our response. Unfortunately, many of us are like, nope, I got this. I'm in the ocean. Blah, 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 blah. Back float, belly float, dead man. Like we're trying to do all we can. We're drowning. And Jesus is there going like, hey, bro, just, 
just, just call out to me, I'm here. God's goal for your life, listen, His goal for your life is that you would turn to Him and you'd fix your eyes on His Son, Jesus. God knows that you're going to mess that up. And so His secondary goal for your life is that every time you mess that up, that you would immediately reach out and say, Jesus, save me. That you would regularly repent of your sin. Which kind of brings me to the third thing I think Joel calls us to, uh, which is this, that we would receive Jesus and choose to live in abundance. And maybe that sounds um, strange to you when we say we would receive Jesus. Why are we doing that last? Uh, But here's the deal. Joel 1 talks about all the destruction that came over the land in this plague, right? And so there is no bread. There is no vine. There's, there's no way to make an offering. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all that. He is our perfect offering. Jesus comes and says, I am the bread. I'm the bread of life. And anyone who eats of me will never go hungry or thirsty again. Uh, Jesus says, you know what? I'm the vine. I'm the true vine. And if you remain in me, you're going to bear much fruit. No matter what the world throws at you, there's no drought in me. Man, you can always bear fruit if you'll remain in me. He says in John 10.10, he says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and you might have it to the full. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. This is kind of, this is the truth. I do not know what you have done. And I do not know what God has done to you to get you here. I don't know what circumstances he's brought in your life so that you're like, dang, I better go to church this Sunday. I'm sure there were some. So I don't know what you've done this week, and I don't know what God has done this week to get you here, but this much I do know, God wants your attention. God wants you to turn to Him. God wants you to accept the hand that He is reaching out. God wants you to receive His Son, Jesus. And if you have never done that, man, let today be the day. The Bible says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Somebody hearing my voice today is in the midst of something so severe in their life that it is time for them to cry out, God, save me from this. Whether you're here in person or you're at home, somebody hearing my voice today, right now, is in a situation so dire, I'm telling you the only answer, friend, is to say, Jesus, save me. And if you cry that out, He will. He will. And, and He will come into your life in such a powerful way that literally by His Spirit, He will come and live and dwell inside of you and empower you to get through it. And it doesn't mean that everything will be perfect. Anybody that's been a Christian long enough can go, nope. It doesn't mean that all the storms will be calmed. But it does mean that I will be. Because I've got a new power over those storms living inside of me. And so we have to receive Jesus. Uh, some of you, though, have done that. You've received Christ, and yet there's still no abundance in your life. And you're going, wait a second, something's wrong. John 10, Jesus said abundance. Well, friends, there's only one way to get abundance. What did he say? He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. Well, there is something that we have to do after we're saved. Galatians 5 puts it this way. It says this. It says, So I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. So what is my job after I become a Christian? My job after I become a Christian is to stay fixed on Jesus, to keep walking in His footsteps daily. And the promise is that as I do then, I will experience that abundant life. 
that Christ has promised. Maybe you're here today and you haven't experienced the abundant life. You've been a Christian for a while and you're going, I don't know what's wrong. I'm going to tell you, I believe what's wrong is our inability to stay focused on Jesus. It's the fact that we have an attention span like a gnat. So here, set yourself a regular reminder. Follow Jesus. Look at Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Put it on your phone. You can set yourself a reminder every hour. Like, you'll get tired of it. Oh, dang it. But it'll also remind you, you are that big of a dummy that you need it. I am. Look to Jesus, not to self. Don't bury yourself in guilt. Don't, don't further bury yourself in disobedience. God allows these things to happen in my life because he wants me to turn to him. So turn to him. I think that's what we learn from the book of Joel. All right? Do you guys pray with me? Father, thanks for loving us. Thank you for your word, which is good. I'm so good to dig in and to study this prophet Joel who um, was so committed to your word that he was able to look at circumstances in his current life and see you at work. God, would you do that in us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.